Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. Glad to have you all with us for the beginning of another week on Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, big, big week coming up in Georgia. Uh, not only do we imagine that there will be ongoing protests uh, in uh, Atlanta, metro Atlanta, and perhaps across the state of Georgia uh, over uh, police violence, um, but of course tomorrow is the long-delayed election day. Uh, finally, it arrives June 9th. We're going to spend an awful lot of the show today talking about elect- about the election and sharing with you information about the balloting, uh, who's on the ballots, what races we're kind of paying attention to. And, and I do that uh, with a caution to a lot of you who know that over the past weeks, we've focused a great deal of our attention on this show on first coronavirus, which has been obviously one of the biggest stories that any of us who are journalists will cover in our lifetimes. And then, of course, when uh, the uh, shoot the uh, death of, of George Floyd, the shooting of Ahmaud Arbery took place down in Glynn County, we shifted focus to spend an awful lot of time on that event. And, and, and at the same time, our core mission has always been to share with you smart, uh, respectful, and analysis about politics. And so today we're going to uh, do uh, a lot of that on the show. Uh, the panel today, Jim Galloway, he's my partner uh, from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Monday and Friday shows. Jim, lead political writer for the AJC. You read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper itself, and he oversees the Political Insider blog at AJC.com. And Jim, we just saw the, uh, the jolt which is a roundup of the political news that you, Greg Bluestein, Tia Mitchell, uh, uh, gather and share with us. Uh, how are you doing today? Oh, we're doing fine. Uh, we we are, we we're, we were already leading with a kind of a, a some a bit of news on Keisha Lance Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta, and uh, just within the last few minutes, Politico is reporting that uh, that uh, she is indeed on on Joe Biden's list of of. Uh, uh, a, a vetting list for for vice president, which is it, it's interesting. I, and we're going to get into that. we'll get into that in a, in a few minutes on the show because it is fascinating. Uh, Lori Geary is back with us today, and we're glad to have you back, Lori. Lori, of course, longtime political reporter for WSB TV in Atlanta, uh, now has her own communications company, Lori Geary Media, but. Uh, for our purposes, even more important, the host of uh, Georgia Gang, which airs on Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Fox 5. Lori, I think I'm right. The long, it, It's not only the longest-running political show in television. I don't think there's any show that's been on the air longer than, than Georgia Gang, is there? I don't think so. Um, I know it's more than 30 years, so that's a big feat. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know it's more than 30 years because back in the old days, we used to air that show at Channel 2 at WSB-TV, and I was one of the panelists on that show, and that was 30-plus years ago. Right. Anyhow, Laura, I am awfully glad you're back with us today. Nice to be back. Thanks, Bill. 
Um, we're also joined today by Amy Steigerwald, Dr. Amy Steigerwald, a professor of political science at Georgia State University. How are you doing, Amy? We're doing well. Uh, you know, getting ready for a bit of hot weather there and also to see what happens uh, in the long-awaited primary. Yeah, um, I also got a chance to overhear you and our other panelists today, Karen Owen, political science professor at uh, Western, West Georgia University, uh, talk a little bit about trying to figure out, now that the Board of Regents, the Chancellor has said, yes, state universities are going to be open, Karen, uh, you're not quite sure how that's all going to look, are you? Yes. I'm sorry, University of West Georgia. What, what did I say? Oh, I think you said West Georgia University. It's okay, University of West Georgia. So I think, like Amy and I were just talking briefly before the show, it's just learning exactly what classes will look like in the fall. How will we get the students in? Will we be wearing masks? How will we be monitoring? It's going to be a different fall for sure. I think it's going to be a different fall for most of us. And so <laughs> welcome to the club. All right, let's get going. First of all, uh, just a couple notes about uh, the weekend activity in um, in Metro Atlanta, at least. Uh, it's interesting, Jim Galloway, that uh, Mayor Bottoms, two nights in a row, Saturday night and Sunday night, lifted the curfew that she'd put in place for all of last week uh, because the demonstrations by this weekend uh, despite the fact there were continuing to be big crowds who showed up in a couple of different locations in the city, they were all peaceful. And so, Jim, the mayor, was able to say, we don't need the curfew anymore, and we'll have to wait and see how she handles that in this week ahead. But, Jim, that's a, a good sign. Right. It's a, it's a good sign, and and it, because it, uh, it, it really threatened... Uh, Tuesday voting. I mean, uh, on she issued a, an order late f- on Friday, uh, ordering the APD not to enforce the curfew uh, at at voting precincts, where we know there was a a, a, a long, long line that stretched stretched beyond midnight for many people in Fulton County. Uh, so, so this was this was a good sign. It was, you know, you know, it was interesting, Bill. I mean, we we, we oh, the weekend saw. Uh, demonstrations in in what's what we would normally call very Republican sections of Metro Atlanta. We had them in Forsyth mm. County. Uh, I had them way out here in in West Cobb County, which 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 has been a, a Republican bastion. Uh, so it's 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 quite a thing to see how how widely they're spread and uh, and and where people are 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 getting uh, involved. Yeah, it's Laurie. It's pretty fascinating. Uh, it, it, as Jim points out, uh, littler commu- smaller communities in uh, in Georgia have been having protests. My own neighborhood uh, here in uh, uh, DeKalb County, uh, there was a demonstration uh, just a few blocks away from us, a gathering of uh, people, neighbors in the community who uh, came out holding up protest signs, uh, calling for racial equality, calling for an end to racism. And we've seen across the country... Similar things happening, Lori. Uh, small towns having protests too, which is one reason some people feel we really have reached an inflection point. Lori, I think so. I think now we're back to the message of the true meaning of these protests, and it's refreshing to see. I know my my kids' school actually put out um, you know a letter to parents saying, "Hey, here are three areas we think if you want to go protest." We're comfortable enough recommending you should go here. I think one of them was Phipps Plaza. So I think um, it's 
it was great to see the lifting of the curfew because it's, I feel like we're heading in the right direction now. And I know a lot of the Atlanta businesses, the restaurants and bars that were able to open once again, I was getting emails and texts, hey, we're open. So I think, you know, the city is healing slowly from what happened last weekend. I think that's a great way to put it. And I think it's also sort of recognizing where the efforts are going and that it's a real issue that there needs to be not only a local but a national reckoning with. And I think we're finally starting to also see that dialogue truly happening of saying what is it that we have been doing as a city, as a country, as a locality, and how do we fix it, right? We're, we're not okay, actually, with the status quo. It's not simply about, you know, are there, are there, are there not protests? Are there, are there not riots? It's more of what actually do we need to potentially change and be both uh, deliberate and also um think through the long-term implications so that we can perhaps not repeat this. Because I think what a lot of us have seen is that there's a lot of echoes of 1965, 1968 that we thought we wouldn't see again in this country, and we are. So how do we ensure that we don't see that again in 2040 or something like that? Yes. Yeah, so, um, you know, Lori makes a great point about how it does look as if the, the protests and the demonstrations are going back to the real core mission here. And that is important for all of us to look at because that message will now come through. And I think the small, you know, Amy hits the point too, that, you know, the local communities will be starting to see that solidarity coming together, understanding how to move to the next step. And I think one way that we can see moving to the next step here in Georgia will be tomorrow and the primaries and how many people will take the action, the thoughts that they had from these protests and demonstrations and mobilize and use that to go vote to seek change. You know, Bill, we've got a, we've got a line. You can, you can find it in the jolt, but, uh, 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 Mark Nisi with the AJC has, has something out on, on uh, the makeup of, of voters who have already cast their ballots. And what he picked on, up on was a, a really a, 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 a very a big surge in African-American voters following May 25th, Memorial Day. Uh, the line is, is turnout rose every day last week, especially among black voters who accounted for 44% of all in-person votes on Friday. Uh, they only make 30, up 30% 30 of, of, of all balloting. Now, you know, you know, some of it may be, may be anger about George, George Floyd. Uh, some of it may be just angst about the turmoil in Fulton County regarding absentee ballots. But still, I think that's a, that's a pretty huge leap right there. Yeah, it, it's it's pretty astonishing that we're seeing such a, a big participation um, across all lines already, but but particularly seeing the African American turnout, Jim, because as we know in the past, particularly African American men have been underrepresented at the uh, at the ballot box. Yes, absolutely, absolutely, and young people. Uh, and and yeah. both are concerns. If you're if you're a Democrat, you're you're concerned about both of those, and these protests seem to to be reaching into those both of those groups. Maybe um, I want to talk just in a way, that, just just a in a way that Joe minutes. Biden can't. Sorry about that. Ah, uh, 
No, that's fine. We'll talk about that in a couple minutes. Before we get off the protest completely, I do want to point out one other thing that uh, protests were peaceful this weekend. Uh, there were about 100 protesters who gathered downtown at the state capitol. They wanted to uh, tear down a statue of John Brown Gordon, who, by the way, is posed in this statue in his full Confederate uniform. Uh, he was a, a Georgia governor. Uh, back in the uh, late 19th century, he uh, was a Confederate war commander, and he may have been one of the leaders of the Ku Klux Klan in Georgia. So, you know, the fact that there were uh, protesters saying they might t- want to tear down that statute, uh, it does it, it is understandable that there would be some efforts to uh, protect the Capitol grounds with National Guard and police. But Jim, I know you want to get in, so I'm going to let you in a second. I also, though, got a note from a young woman who was at the uh, governor's mansion on West and on West Pace's ferry last night, who um, said there were about 50, 60, maybe 75 people there. And there were uh, there was a huge contingent of National Guard troops. Uh, there was military equipment in the streets. And uh, she was very frightened by what she thought was an inappropriately heavy response to a peaceful march. But go ahead, Jim. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, look, the the, uh, the state has been far more uh, uh, quick to 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 bring in um, uh, military garbed uh, uh, police, uh, both at the governor's mansion and at the state capitol. What I wanted to po- point out about the, uh, the 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 John Brown Gordon statue is is that it was it was erected in 1907, and 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 the timing there is very very important because 1906 is when the Atlanta race riot hit, when you had dozens of African Americans uh, killed by uh, white rioters. Uh, uh, there, was, there was much property damage then, too, by the way. All right, let's talk uh, about uh, the election coming up tomorrow. But I think the way we need to frame this, Amy, let me start with you, if I might, um, is, is to point out that there are some significant concerns, particularly in in Atlanta, in Fulton County, about uh, early voting, about uh, how how they handled absentee balloting, and how they're going to handle the primary election uh, tomorrow. I got emails, and of course the news reported a lot of this. I got emails from listeners. One listener told me that on Friday she waited to vote at her Fulton County polling place for eight plus hours to cast her ballot. And she was far from alone. As Galloway pointed out a little while ago, there were people who waited till midnight to early vote. And then we also have this problem where Fulton County has not been able to uh, maintain control over the absentee ballots that they set out. They're still uh, missing returns, and according to uh, the the Secretary of State's office, those ballots have to be counted and and in by seven o'clock tomorrow night. Amy, are we facing a real mess as people show up to vote tomorrow? Potentially, um, there's a lot of concerns. Now, one of the big issues, particularly in Fulton, is that there were only eight early voting sites. There will be 160 open for tomorrow. So conceivably, that should, at least for those who want to go out and vote in person, solve some of those issues. Um, Cobb County also was reporting polling lines that were stretching to three, four, five hours. So we were seeing this a lot because I think that sort of, as you mentioned near the top of the show, 
we are seeing a very large uptick in political participation. Um, there was, I know a lot of my students were talking about how I think it was the Alabama football team all met up and then did sort of their own protest march and then went and all registered to vote for uh, their things. And I think we're seeing that in a lot of um, other places. And so that could conceivably um, handle that. The bigger issue, which I think we could also run into, is how to handle these um, early, the, the people who had requested absentee ballots and are saying that they still haven't received them. So what is going to happen to the person who requested that? Does that mean that they need to go now show up at the polls? If they do show up at the polls, is there going to be some concern that they've tried to vote twice? Um, or where is that counting coming in? And so I think that there are a lot of concerns, and it's definitely something that's going to have to be thought through towards November as we try to figure out what it's going to look like, especially if there's a concern about a second wave. So Amy has made a good point about how we've seen an uptick in interest of people wanting to turn out to vote. But two things I want to you know, think about and remind, yes, there were fewer polling places open for early voting in a lot of counties right now because they didn't have enough poll workers because a lot of the poll workers were in that vulnerable group over 65 that could not um, help and volunteer, you know, to work the polls. And then the second piece of that is we do have new voting machines in Georgia. So, you know, some of the time may be that some voters were having to learn that new voting apparatus and how to actually cast the ballot. So, I mean, I think we have to consider all of the complexity that's gone on in early voting. And hopefully, you know, tomorrow when the lines, when there are more polls open, um, it will go a little bit smoother for everyone there. I think at the very least, I think Fulton County is going to have to look at extending the voting times, um, you know, until 9 p.m. I know that was a thought that was put out there. I also think, you know, one, it's going to be a mess, I think, voting tomorrow. But two, the tally and the counting of these votes, I don't think we're going to have any inclination of, you know, who's winning in some of these major races that involve Fulton County for a long time. But we've seen this before. So imagine on top of all of this, the pandemic, and then the numbers of voting coming out for a primary. Remember, it's a primary. I think um, it's going to be maybe into Wednesday, maybe Thursday, before we see any real results. Yeah, the, the, um, the good go news, ahead, Jim. The good, the good news, Bill, is is that that uh, you got 159 election offices who were given authority to start counting absentee ballots last Monday on June 1st. So, so, so it, it, the the wait might not be as long as 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 uh, as we we think. Uh, Fulton County still concerns me. I mean, they, over the weekend they put out a call for uh, uh, two hundred and fifty volunteers, immediate volunteers. I mean, a last minute bid to help to help man these polling stations. That 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 doesn't that that doesn't bode well either. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a significant uh, uh, red flag, Jim. Yeah, Jim, you know it isn't as if this is the first time. It isn't as if we're suddenly saying, "Oh wow, how unusual!" Fulton County is having a problem with an election. This is a persistent, ongoing theme in the county. Uh, Rob Pitts, the chairman. Uh, expressed a lot of frustration. Uh, Nakima Williams, the ch state chair of the Democratic Party, uh, complained that this is Republicans who simply, you know, who controlled uh, the, uh, the, she says, the election apparatus. They don't really care. They just sort of shrug these things off. 
however you look at it, Jim, Fulton County has, they just haven't gotten their act together. No, 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 no. Two things. Uh, number one, it has more voters than any other county in the state. It is right, also it, it it is also a, a county that has really been disassembled uh, uh, via via the the municipal movement of the last 10, 10, 10, 15 years. And 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 remember, the other part of this is that we've got this discombobulated election system where where the Secretary of State officially oversees all these activities but not really you've got all, you've got uh, these election offices with the tr- and election boards at the local county level with a tremendous amount of of uh, independence and and so responsibility hey i got all right let's do this why don't we take our first break of the show now get that out of the way come back I want to talk for a couple minutes. Jim Galloway, you already mentioned Keisha Lance Bottoms suddenly rising in the uh, uh, Biden campaign's assessment of uh, possible vice presidential running mates. I want to talk a little bit about that. But then with the panel, I'd love to just go over some of the most important races and uh, share with our listeners information that, if they haven't voted yet, uh, may help them act Uh, unravel what they've got to deal with when they go to their polling places uh, tomorrow. We'll do that after these messages. This is Political Rewind. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Jim Galloway, uh, Amy Steigerwald, Karen Owen, Lori Geary joining me for today's show. Lori, uh, Mayor Bottoms got national one national acclaim last week when on Friday night she made impromptu remarks as she watched uh, vandals, looters, uh, clashes with police unfold on the streets of downtown Atlanta. Uh, and she won the uh, uh, praise of many, many people because she spoke from the heart as a mother who has a son who's who, who she's very, very concerned about. And we all thought, Lori, that this, along with the way she's been handling the pandemic, could in fact give her a higher profile in terms of being a possible running mate for Joe Biden. And and now uh, Galloway's already informed us, Politico confirms she's absolutely on that list. Lori? Yes, I think politics, as you know, is all about timing, right? And I think a lot of us thought she was on the list, but she was a little bit lower down on the list. I think this week she took the spotlight away from Stacey Abrams, for sure. Um, She was put in this national spotlight. Perhaps a lot of people didn't know about her, but that speech, um, it was a speech for the time. It was a speech that connected with so many different voters. And I just think that she's being vetted doesn't surprise me at all. I just think that, you know, she moved up quite a few notches because I think she's, she's who a lot of the Democrats, she's what the Democrats need, I think, right now in terms of you know, this healing that we're talking about. I just thought it was such a great speech. And also, you know, you have to remember, she was one of the first out of the gate to support Joe Biden, to support the former vice president. So I know that loyalty means a lot in politics as well. 
Uh, the Washington Post this weekend, Karen, I'm just reading this now in the jolt, um, ha- has an article about the uh, they've raided the uh, potential running mates, put them in a numerical order. And uh, Karen, according to the Post assessment, uh, Mayor Bottoms is place number seven on the list, uh, ahead, by the way, of Stacey Abrams by one uh, place. Uh, it, it, but, but here's what it's here's what it says. The 50 year old Atlanta mayor has impressed Democrats far and wide with both her handling of the unrest in Atlanta and importantly, her public appearances. Uh, she was also one of Biden's earliest endorsers and has served as a surrogate for his campaign. Laurie just told us that. And then they go on to say, but being a mayor of a big city doesn't always translate well to running for higher office, given the many difficult local decisions for which you can be held accountable and which may not have been previously unearthed. Karen, that's an interesting take on this. Right. And I think we talked last week uh, when I was on the show about how Mayor Bottoms had done a great job in kind of walking that great line between showing her femininity and her compassion and being a real spokesperson from the heart, as well as showing decisive, strong action when she needed to fire uh, or get involved and and help the police chief with the firing of the two officers. And I think on the national stage, yes, she's definitely risen and gotten attention. And Joe Biden obviously likes her because they stumped together somewhat in South Carolina when he was working on the the primary there. But I think when it becomes down to selection, the Biden campaign has to think about who is ready to work with him at the national level. And, of course, the Democrats don't want to bring someone on who could drag down the ticket in any way or get caught in the national limelight and can't handle a certain issue. I think it's interesting, Jim, though, that – um, let me, Jim, let me get to you, and then, Amy, I'll come to you after this. I'm sorry. Um, Jim, so in the Joel today, there's a quote from State Senator Nakima Williams. I mentioned earlier she's the Democratic Party chair in Georgia. Imposing a curfew, speaking about Mayor Bottoms, sent a message that silenced the voice of the people. I'm glad the mayor corrected course to listen to Atlantans calling for change. This is only a first step. Now it's time for Atlanta, Georgia, and the rest of the country to take real action to end the police brutality that disproportionately plagues black people and put our community first. So there, that's it. it's interesting that there's that quote, uh, which kind of proves the point that the Washington Post makes about when you're a mayor, you're held accountable for a lot of little decisions that people uh, suddenly will be looking at closely. Right, right, and 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 I mean, a, a mayor is a is a chief executive, uh, and it's 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 interesting uh, what what Bottoms's remarks kind of uh, have turned up is this is this very interesting uh, division between uh, African American the, the Atlanta's African American middle class and its and its African American lower class and I think that's what both both Nakima was speaking to and that's what Vincent Fort it, uh, further down in the jolt is is also also addresses and 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 remember we we have just been through a a, a very hot primary in which uh, uh, a mayor of South Bend, Bend, Indiana, had to pay a price for some of the decisions he he'd made on 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 uh, r- racial issues within his police force. 
Amy, I'm no, sorry, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please go ahead. Oh, no, totally fine. I really, everyone has covered this in a you know fantastic way. And I, just to sort of piggyback on what has already been said is that one of the things that I think that really brings to light is in some ways, right, when you are the chief executive of whatever uh, the entity is, all of the decisions that are made within that area can conceivably be tied back to you. And so the issues that sort of potentially face um, bottoms in running or getting the VP nod are it has the possibility to rebring up sort of all of the things that we saw being debated last year, for example, in the legislature over um, the handling of contracting at Atlanta Hartsville Jackson International Airport um, of discussions of what's going to be happening, right? Obviously, and even how the protests were handled, how uh, when there was violence that broke out, how that was handled. Um, other issues that are still ongoing, such as the um, different indictments that were brought against the previous administration. So even though uh, Mayor Bottoms wasn't a part of that, it still sort of carries over of the issues that come um, of having been a chief executive in Atlanta, and that is an issue. Now, on the other hand, though, all candidates in many ways are going to have some other issues that are come, come up for that. So, for example, right, other people that are being talked about are uh, Senator Kamala Harris and the fact that she used to be attorney general of California and decisions that were made while she was attorney general there. Same thing with Amy Klobuchar and issues, decisions that were made when she was a district attorney. And so there, there's always going to be potential pitfalls. And it's a question of sort of what exactly um, what you're okay with, right, in having in a candidate, and also what you are sort of using your vice presidential candidate to signal and to whom you're trying to signal to particularly. Okay, um, so the decision that Joe Biden will make about his running mate is still likely to be weeks away. What's not weeks away is all the people who have to vote tomorrow or plan to vote want to vote in the primary election. Let's go through some of the races that are going to be on many people's ballots. Lori, if uh, people take a Democratic ballot tomorrow, uh, certainly they'll vote for president. Uh, Joe Biden has already now secured the Democratic nomination. Uh, so, uh, you know, you, that vote... Uh, you'll get a chance to vote for for I don't even know how many Democrats are on that ballot to tell you the truth. But but Biden obviously has already secured the nomination. The next big race, of course, Lori, is the race for the U.S. Senate, the opportunity to replace David Perdue, to run against David Perdue. That's what you'll face if you're a Democrat. Uh, the, talk, talk to us about the three main contenders, Lori. Right. Um, and just a reminder, because I keep getting it on the Georgia gang bill that, you know, the um, Kelly Leffler race will not be on the ballot because, um, you know, that will be decided in November. But you're looking at the three top Democrats in the David Perdue race. Um, you have John Ossoff, who is the leader at this point, according to all of the polls, sometimes in double digits. You have, um, and, you know, he ran against Karen Handel um, for the sixth congressional and lost, but, you know, that was the highest profile and probably the most expensive race in, in history, congressional race in history. Then you have Teresa Tomlinson, who is the Columbus mayor, um, who has, I think, waged a really good, um, fight. Um, she's gone against her opponent, John Ossoff. And, and, and I think, in a in a way that didn't, 
divide the party in this race. And then you have um, Sarah Riggs Amico, who ran for lieutenant governor um, the previous round. So those are your three top leading Democrats to round it off. Jim, uh, Ossoff has had uh, uh, John Lewis's endorsement, and uh, that probably has uh, helped him, I assume, with African-American voters. And yesterday, Ossoff spent a good part of Sunday uh, walking with uh, African-American church churchgoers and leaders uh, uh, to the Capitol. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how what that does in terms of how this race moves forward, Jim. He's got an interesting, uh, number one, he's, he, he's got the money to be on TV uh, a, a good amount. And, and so far, his most effective ad has been uh, a reference to the, uh, the, the Ahmaud Arbery slang. Uh, uh, back in back in February, as as a as a local corruption issue, uh, Tomlinson, as as you mentioned, uh, Ossoff has has John Lewis behind him. Uh, Tomlinson has Andy Young, uh, uh, Augusta Mayor Hardy Davis, uh, quite a few. Just I mean, a very long long list of of current and active civil rights leaders. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how her kind of under the radar campaign. Uh, 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 turns out whether she can keep. I, I I think right now at this stage her 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 uh her object is to keep Ossoff under under fifty percent and draw him into an August eleven runoff. Uh, Karen, everybody on the ballot tomorrow, without exception, uh, is suffering from a lack of exposure, given that uh, the state's eyes have been focused on first coronavirus and then on what's been happening in the streets of cities across Georgia. So presumably, uh, John Ossoff, who established name recognition during his race against Karen Handel, uh, it, it has an advantage uh, because Tomlinson, she has had an enormous number of civil rights endorsements, as Jim points out, and Amico. Uh, they have to. Uh, they've had a longer uh, road to hoe to uh, make themselves known to the state's voters. Karen. Well, yes, Ossoff does have high name recognition from the sixth district race, and he had a. You know, we talked about that was the most expensive race, so he had a lot of national exposure <laughs> and attention. But I think you're right. This has been a difficult primary season where candidates can't go to retail politics. They can't go out and meet with voters, which I think would be a very strong asset for Teresa Tomlinson because that was part of her ground game, which was to get out to voters across the state and show that she could appeal to a lot of Democrats around the state, not just Metro Atlanta. Um, I think right now, you know, having lived, you know, living right here in the Metro Atlanta, I see all the different advertisements on TV, and you wonder if those messages are getting through, her ads or um, Amico. And interesting about um, Sarah Riggs Amico is she was the one who has run statewide. Just two years ago, she was running for lieutenant governor, so she should have relatively high name recognition. So I think it will be really a, deci a deciding factor if they all, if the candidates, the two uh, women, can keep Ossoff below that 50 percent, and then who will actually be in a runoff with him. And he learned in the 6th District that even though you go into a runoff with the lead doesn't mean that you can actually win the runoff. Those are excellent points that Amy? Karen brought up. And I think one of the other issues that comes into it is that in some sense that because a lot of the 
uh, reporters because a lot of the national attention sort of already knew the Ossoff name when he decided to get into the race, which was actually after, well after really, Teresa Tomlinson um, and Sarah Riggs Amico, that sort of bumped it up. Um, the other side of it is uh, work actually that Karen has done and others um, shows that there is sort of this different coverage that you see of uh, male contenders versus female contenders, that there is more attention given to their sort of policy platforms, whereas women a lot of times are covered more as to their characteristics. And so you actually do really sort of see that a lot on Teresa Tomlinson. I think she's had a really battle to say, hey, look, I was mayor of Columbus and did a lot. I've held elective office. I held elective office for a long time. I've got this strong thing, but there's a lot more people talking about her kind of genteel nature and the way that she'll go about things and do compromise um, in a way that sort of Ossoff isn't being asked to try to provide. He hasn't held elective office. He ran in a race, which got a lot of attention, but as an actual elected official, he doesn't have that background there. And so it's interesting to kind of watch how it's gotten played and sort of where people's attentions um, have gone and who's been willing to go into what camp. But I think the biggest issue here is going to be that we're very likely, um, as Karen noted, to have a runoff, right? And that's at this point what's really happening. And I think once we get to that runoff, that will be important because theoretically, um, because all of the also COVID restrictions are being released, the candidates will be able to go back to that much more personal retail type of campaigning, which, as Karen pointed out, Teresa Tomlinson is very good at. So, uh, Jim Galloway, we should very quickly point out that if you're taking a Republican ballot tomorrow, uh, uh, the Senate, uh, the one Senate race, I'm glad Lori reminded everybody we don't get to vote for Kelly Leffler or one of the other uh, candidates, Republican or Democrats, until November in Senate race number two. But Jim, David Perdue is the incumbent, of course, and uh, he'd like your vote, obviously, because the more votes he can uh, put together, the stronger case he can make for uh, how much support he has across the state. So that's what happens in that Senate race number one. Uh, there are like seven, a total of seven, by the way, Democrats on the Democratic side of that Senate race. But Jim, let's talk about especially the 7th District Congressional race, because there both Democrats and Republicans have a pretty healthy uh, list of candidates to choose among. Um, Help us with that one. Okay. All right. Uh, First of all, let, let let, let us just simply say, this this race the seventh district race is not going to end on on Tuesday. It'll it will definitely go on right. both sides. Will go to a <laughs> go to go to a runoff. All right. You have on on the Republican side, you have uh, you have uh, Richard uh, Rich McCormick. You have uh, he's a doctor. Uh, he's been playing. I mean, he's been playing up the COVID nineteen. Uh, 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 angle quite a bit. You've got and you've got Renee Unterman, uh, the former state senator, who is the uh, who carried HB 481, the anti-abortion bill, that's now all on hold. Uh, those are probably the two people who are going to make it. There are, are quite a few others. It's a little bit more dicey on the on the Democratic side. You've got uh, 
You've got Carolyn Bordeaux, who came so close to beating Rob Woodall in, in 2018. Then you've got then you've got Zarak Karinchik, a state senator who just kind of who was who was who just got elected to the state senate in in 18 was expected to run for re-election and has decided to to make that leap upward, kind of kind of like Lucy McBath did in 2018. And you've got uh, uh, you've got uh, uh, a number of you've got you've got Brenda Lopez, you've Nabila got, Islam, uh, yeah, Nabila yeah. Islam. Those are those are you know I, I would say those are uh, those are uh, if if they get into a runoff, I, I would consider both of those kind of upset candidates, uh, upset performances. The the thing is, you've got in Gwinnett County. This is this the seventh district is primarily Gwinnett, but also a good slice of Forsyth. Uh, which is has been pretty conservative, but there are signs of of democratic uh, influence spreading even there. You've got you've got all these new networks, new new democratic networks setting up, and we don't know exactly where that's going. Uh, because you've and remember mm-hmm. at this time you, you've also got a race for for chairman of the Cobb uh, uh, for the Gwinnett uh, County Commission and a r- sheriff's race. And both of those are are very very, uh, those are those are network intensive races right there. Both of them. Laurie, if we go to the Republican side of that seventh district race, the the battle between McCormick and Renee Unterman has been fierce, just unbelievably fierce. And a, a group that's been supporting him has put out some thoroughly offensive material about Renee Unterman. It'll be interesting to see if that shapes the uh, voters' decisions in any way. It'll be interesting to see if that shakes the female voters, Bill, because I think those were Mm -hmm. so offensive, Um, you know, showing Renee Unterman, and I'm not tying this to Rich McCormick at all, but just, you know, these anonymous mailers that were showing Renee Unterman in a straight jacket when we know she's been public about her battles with depression. So I'm I'm interested to see how that will happen because Senator Renee Unterman also has such a high profile in this district. I mean, she has been fighting for things like, you know, um, the anti-sex trafficking issues. Um, she's been high, high profile on the abortion bill as well. But, you know, this this is such an interesting race because this district has not gone Democrat since, like, the 1990s, right? And so I think there will be so many eyes on, on it to see who winds up in the Democratic um, runoff along with the Republican runoff. You know, and this is now a majority minority district. It went for Hillary Clinton in 2016, then Stacey Abrams two years later. So I think, you know, we're seeing where the direction of, of this district is going. Yes. And Amy? I would say that if you sort of starting on the Democratic side, on some level, Carolyn Bordeaux did enter this race with um, a bit of a head start, given that she had spent the two years previous already running for this district. So she had um, run within the district, had set up a uh, very strong network within there, both in terms of fundraising and campaigning. Um, and I think we're seeing that. So she is also really winning in on the fundraising side. And that's going to help her, particularly if it does go to a runoff. On the Republican side, what's been really interesting, I think, is to look at the endorsements. And one of the big differences is that uh, most of McCormick's endorsements are coming actually from out of state. So the Club for Growth, Representative Jim Jordan, whereas 
Um, Renee Unterman has gotten really a lot of endorsements from the uh, local Georgia leadership, former Governor Nathan Deal, the current Lieutenant Governor, um, et cetera. And so I think that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and how it affects voters at the polls tomorrow. So I would um, like to add here on the 7th that this is part of what we in political science love to see, right? These open seat contests where lots of candidates jump in. And on the Democratic side, you definitely see at the top where three women are making an active uh, push to gain the Democratic nomination. And then on the Republican side, as Amy and others have already mentioned with the two candidates and how, you know, this will be a test of Republican primary activists if they are ready to make a change for the party and put a woman as their nominee in a congressional race like they did in the 6th District and then have where you would see a female versus a female contest in the general and then how that dynamic will play out or if you know, party, Republican Party activists and Gwinnett are going to be, you know, hearing the message from the national Republicans and seeing candidates that they think will be able to sit at the seat in Congress. I think that's part of the dynamic we have to also look at when we look at the results at the end of tomorrow or Wednesday. Right. We, uh, we uh, Jim, we're going to have to take a break in a second, but just to, uh, let's flesh out a couple quick things here before we do. Number one, uh, there are competitive Republican on the Republican ballot, uh, competitive races uh, to fill seats of incumbents in uh, uh, the, the retiring congressman in the ninth and the 14th. Those are largely going to be uh, Republican contests. Those are pretty safe Republican districts. And in the sixth, we're pretty certain that Karen Handel uh, is the likely is likely to win uh, that race. The question is, who on the well, and she'll face Lucy McBath on the Democratic side. So, if you want to expand on that briefly before I take a break, please do. Yeah, the, I'm, there are several other candidates in that primary, and I wouldn't want to. Uh, I wouldn't want to rule them out. But if you, if you know, if I were going to put money on any any particular congressional race that's going to escape a runoff in Georgia, that would be it. Okay, um, let's do this. Let's get to uh, our final break of the show. And when we come back, just talk about a couple of the races. And then Jim Galloway has some news for us about the Republican National Convention. You're listening to Political Rewind. Jim Galloway, you've got a little bit of news about the Republican National Committee you can share with us. Yeah, this this comes uh, via our friend Mr. Greg Bluestein, uh, and you can look, learn more on AJC.com. But it looks like uh, you're, you're going to have a, a delegation from the Republican National Committee take a tour of Savannah on Monday or today to see if to see if uh, if uh, there's a a place for an offshoot of the Charlotte Convention in August. Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, yeah. basically, the the the, the, the Republicans have found out they're contractually tied to Charlottesville. For, for so much of, of that convention. And the current talk, talk is maybe to have uh, Donald Trump ex, uh, give his acceptance speech somewhere where, where uh, 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 social distancing might not apply. Now, and this is, uh, I would, yeah. uh, the biggest facility is probably Hutchinson Island. There's a convention center there. They, they've, rep, state Republicans well, have had their convention there many times. Uh, Laurie, we should point out that uh, conventions are usually planned about four years ahead. Site selection committees start looking at cities four years ahead of time. President Trump is accelerating that schedule just a bit for their late August 
uh, uh, convention, <laughs> Lori. This will put some event planners back in work rather quickly. Um, yeah. It's just amazing <laughs> to me that they could pull this off. And looking at a place like Savannah and not a huge metropolitan area is interesting as well. Well, it'll be interesting to see what the mayor of Savannah, Van Johnson, a Democrat who's been very strong in believing in coronavirus uh, shelter-in-place rules, will have to say about uh, Savannah and what kind of impediment he might uh, put in the pl- in place uh, uh, in terms of that. All right, real quickly, uh, we have very little time. Jim, are there any legislative primary races? We know that Democrats are going to battle for control of the Georgia House in November. Uh, but are there any races in legislative districts that we should watch tomorrow that could have an impact on what happens in November? Yeah, we, got, uh, don't, we can't get to all of them. Okay, first one I'd, I'd point to is the Brendan Beach Michael Caldwell level. It's on the Repu- uh, seat. It's a Senate race on the Republican side, uh, Cherokee and, and North Fulton. Uh, Beach was originally a six district candidate. Then Michelle Henson, longtime uh, 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 House member, Democrat. Uh, in Stone Mountain, she has three opponents this time, uh, and that's uh, I'm I'm going to be watching that one. Okay, um, so it you've tomorrow's the day uh, for people who have not had a chance to vote yet. By the way, uh, if you did get an absentee ballot and you got it late, as many of you have said you did, I got an email from one listener who said that he and his wife. Uh, applied for absentee ballots weeks and weeks ago. His finally came in the mail, and he was able to send it back. Hers uh, has still not arrived. She's out of town, he says, so she's kind of stuck not being able to cast a ballot. But my point was going to be, if you've gotten a ballot late, check your county to find out where the drop boxes are that you can put them in so you make sure they're going to get counted uh, before uh, election day ends uh, tomorrow at 7 o'clock. That's about it. We're uh, out of time for today's Political Rewind. Um, Karen Owen, Lori Geary, Amy Steigerwald, Jim Galloway, I really appreciate all of you being with me uh, for the show today. Lori Geary, uh, we'll be watching uh, next uh, Sunday morning at 8.30. You should have a pretty good... You may, you may have, and we may on Friday finally start seeing results of some of the races that are on the ballot tomorrow, the way things are going. I, I hope so. I hope we'll have results in earlier, as um, Jim Galloway pointed out. But I don't think we will in Fulton County. It's just not how it's been, and I don't yeah. think it'll change anytime yeah. this year. Yeah. I think it's going to be tough. All right. Um, that's it for a Political Rewind today. As I said, we got a big week ahead with the elections also continuing to follow the uh, protests, the uh, push for racial justice that's going on across the state of Georgia. We haven't talked about the coronavirus, but that is still very much with us. We will do our best to mix all of that up and get it out to you as the week goes on. My thanks to uh, Jesse Neiswanger, Tom Faust, Sam Burmistaws for uh, Man in the Fort there at GPB. I'm Bill Nygut. See you all tomorrow. If you're going to go vote, please stay safe and healthy. Take care.